Oh, him. Now, uh, I got a one-point sermon this morning. That doesn't mean it's shorter. It just means everything I have to say is built around this one idea. And if you start thinking, well, where's Pastor Greg going this morning? Think of this thought. Here's my one-point sermon. It's all about Jesus. Say that with me. It's all about Jesus. It's a simple message. I want you to note all. And what it really means is we shouldn't get distracted by anything. You know, Jesus is having a conversation one day with a woman who's alone. She was rejected by her own culture. She was hated by other cultures. She was lonely. She had gone through five marriages. She was working on the sixth. She was empty. And she asked Jesus about worship. And he introduced himself as living water. The kind that doesn't end thirst to our human bodies, but it ends thirst to our souls. And how many times do we attempt to fill that hole inside of us with physical things? And we forget that we are spiritual beings who happen to have physical bodies. These physical bodies will die someday. But our spiritual, whatever that is, it is forever. And Christ is the only one that can heal us of what is broken inside. Now listen to what Jesus says to that woman who's empty, alone, trying to fill her life with so many things. It's found in John chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. It'll be on the screen as well. To the woman he said, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He's called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, and note these words, I who speak to you am he. Now, in the original language, here's what he says. I am that I am. Now, for those that have been raised in the church, you know where that statement comes from. It comes from when Moses is on the mountain, God's speaking to him through a fiery bush, and he says, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am that I am. And so Jesus literally is saying, I am that God of Moses, and I am that God, that Messiah that you're looking for. And he makes a series of I am statements down through the Gospel of John. In John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. And again, I am that I am. That's what he's saying. And it's why after these statements, the religious community goes crazy. They're angry because they know he's identifying himself as the one who they do not speak of in the Old Testament. In John 8, I am the light of the world. In John 10, I am, I am the good shepherd. In John 11, I am that I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, I am that I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, I am that I am the true vine. Now, every gospel writer tells Jesus a bit differently. And John states his reason why he writes these statements. And we see that in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Here's what he says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. He's saying, you know what? We, could, we, we can't write about everything that he did. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's desire and what he writes about, his desire is that Jesus brings us life. 
And it's more than just a story. It's more than just a tradition. It's about life transformation. It's about filling that emptiness with living water, with, with the bread of life. I know 43 years ago when I began pastoring, I thought to myself, I don't want to do church. Rather, I just want to be church. And it's a difference, isn't it? I mean, think about the Christmas carols that we sing, and we sang some this morning. You know, one of my favorite is Oh Holy Night, and there's a phrase in there that says, A weary world rejoices. I think the first part is where a lot of people are at. They're at the A Weary World, and they stop there. I read an article this past week uh, in the UK, and here's what they said. They said, while our world is more concerned than ever, we have phones and social media accounts and FaceTime and, and other platforms. We are more connected than ever before. We are more lonely than ever before. In fact, what they did was, they said that loneliness is a greater pandemic than COVID-19, and they now appointed a minister of loneliness to the political cabinet to combat the problem. I got news. Politics ain't going to solve the problem, is it? But they identify it. They know what's going on. A weary world rejoices. Now, the first phrase of that says, the thrill of hope. And then it goes on to say, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. O night divine. O night when Christ was born. You know, we have massive shifts, don't we, in our society. And what happens down through history, and again, this is nothing new, that secular society likes to put themselves in place of God. In other words, they become the religion to the masses. And again, it's nothing new. We see it in Romans 1. They say, choose to worship the creature rather than the creator. And what happens is they become the purveyors of truth. If we want to know what is true, we run to them. And they tell us now in our culture when life begins. They proclaim their versions of gender ideology as their reality. They define or redefine marriage. They place themselves over our children and tell us that as parents, we have no say. I mean, this is all in our news. They have now become the definers of who is in and who is out. Things are crazy, aren't they? I don't know how many of you have seen The Wizard of Oz. It's a classic. And I love the story. Now, I'm a little confused about the story because you know how Dorothy destroyed the Wicked Witch by throwing a bucket of water on her? Does that mean that she never, ever took a bath or shower? I don't know. If water made her melt, hey, I'm just putting two and two together as a kid. I saw that. But anyway, he had Oz, the great and powerful, and, and nobody quite knows who he is. And, and, you know, Dorothy wants to get back home, and so she does this deed, and when they get back in, you know, he's shouting and he's accusing and he's saying, how dare you? And then she pulls back the curtain and realizes it's a scam. I think no one in our culture today is allowed to pull back the curtain. Mankind not, cannot place himself in the position of God. It never ends well. In an article on December 18th, uh, 2021, an individual by the name of Dennis Prager compares 
secular society and religious culture. And he talks about the current civil war in our own country. And here's what he says. He says, religious communities learn wisdom. Secular communities, there is no body of wisdom conveyed. Religious culture, people are not basically good. We are all sinners and we need a savior. Secular society says people are basically good and it's whatever they want to be. He says religious community says there are holy days. Secular society says there are no holy days. Only holidays. (laughs) Religious culture says honor your parents. Secular culture says there is no such obligation. I know one state this past week passed a law that now a child under the age of 18, as young as 12, can go get an abortion without parental permission. I mean, that's happening in our culture today. Religious says friends plus community. We know the value of community. Secular says no. You can have friends, especially on Facebook, but there is no community. And thus we have countries putting in ministers of loneliness because while we're more connected, we are more lonely than ever. He writes that secular society uses fear to frighten people into submission. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's interesting in my own lifetime. Have you noticed that if we don't believe whatever they, we should believe by whoever's speaking, what do they tell you? You're going to die. Now, one thing they got right is we are going to die but not from what they think. We all die from this physical existence, but Christ has conquered death, and he moves us into life. And as I reflect on this year, moving into 2022, I think we as believers in Christ must be fearless in a culture of fear. And we have to understand the significance of this. I mean, here's what's at stake. John 10, 10. Um, We heard the last part of that, I want to read the first part of it. The thief, that's Satan, that's secular, that's anything without God, okay? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. I mean, here's what this says. Remove God from the picture. Life then. Life will be stolen from you. It will kill you. It will destroy you. But if it's all about Jesus then you have the abundant life. And I know we think in terms of money, comfort, power. I mean, we still want to be in control when we're thinking about that. But it has nothing to do with that. It has to deal with that empty hole inside of us. And no matter what circumstance we face, we know that God is with us, Emmanuel. This past week, um, I was reading some stuff about what's going on in other countries and around the world. The Church of Jesus Christ is, is having phenomenal growth in the midst of some incredible persecution. China just announced this past week, if you didn't read this, there's new restrictions on the Christian church. And they say, you have to bow your knee to the state-approved religion. Otherwise, you can't meet. Now, you need to know the true church, not bowing its knee to the state religion, is growing. (laughs) Why? Because you can't stop Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Now, in America, since COVID-19 hit, they say in-person attendance in a country where we have complete freedom to meet has dropped 30 to 50%. 
in a country where we have so much, I think we're losing hope. I think we're losing the thrill of the hope of Jesus. And here's my take, okay? This is personal. You know, when I, when I say that, you know what I mean? I could be wrong, but this is just what I'm thinking. I think in America, the average Christian is weary of our entertainment and consumer brand of Christianity. And I think Christians are bored and seeking something new that will thrill us for a moment. I think that our drug has become our self-focused religiosity, and we divide our offenses mostly related to self when we didn't get our way or nobody noticed my accomplishments. I have to think about all the people around this world and people that I meet who are simply Jesus to others, people who we do not see or hear but Jesus is working through them in incredible ways. Casting Crowns um, wrote a song some years ago, and it was called What the World Needs. Just let me read part of that to you. I'm not going to sing it. Say amen. <laughs> what this world needs is not another one-hit wonder with an ax to grind, another two-bit politician peddling lies, another three-ring circus society. What this world needs is not another sign-waving super that thinks he's better than you, another ear-pleasing candy man afraid of the truth, another prophet in an Armani suit. What this world needs is a savior who will rescue, a savior who will lead. What this world needs is a thrill of hope to fall on his knees in honor of our Lord and Savior, to bow and worship to the audience of one. One of the Ten Commandments given to Moses says this, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, I could talk all kinds of truths about Jesus this morning, but there's one critical question you must answer. Found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, that's just not an intellectual question. Truth's important, but it's a question of life. If he says what he says about who he is, that he was born a virgin. He lived and walked among us. He died for our sins. He rose again to conquer death. If he is the savior of the world, then what are we willing to believe and live with that truth? Now there's two huge needs every single person has here this morning. Whether you are aware of that or not, there are two needs that we wrestle with. The first is there's a need to hear a word from God. What that means is, we need someone to speak the truth to us. Think about how people just want to know what's truth. They say, I wish, I wish people would stop lying, and I don't know what is lie and what is truth. So there is a need to hear a word from God because Jesus says, I am the way, the what? The truth. And there's a need for a way to God. And you know this. People want to know, how can I get fixed? So we need a revelation from God, and we need a revelation and we need to be reconciled with God. And it speaks to life purpose. It speaks to his image. It speaks to the depth of our humanity. But we must consider Jesus saying, who do you say I am? 
Now, as you're contemplating that and rashly going through arguments in your mind, imagine a world without Jesus. Imagine for a moment we take away the restraints of the Holy Spirit. We take away the influence and generosity of the body of Christ we call the church. Think about suffering. Think about fear. Think about inequality. Think about bondage. And the truth being what you want it to be. And of course, if you want the truth to be whatever you want it to be, that's true for everybody else, right? I did some ethics teaching in a place called Georgian College in Barrie. And I would always kind of set the class up and I'd ask them, let's talk about freedom. And they come up with the definition. And they always define it this way. Without a doubt, all the classes I taught, they come up saying this. Freedom is my right to do what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. And I get them all to agree with that. And then I pick out a student, mom or dad, it didn't matter, somebody that had a child. And I said, okay, according to your definition, I can meet your daughter, be in a relationship, and have sex with her, because I think it's healthy for a child to have a, that kind of relationship with another adult. What do you think they said? No, you can't do that. That's sick. That's perverted. And of course, the crowd would react the same way. And then I'd say, so there are boundaries. And they said, yes. Then I asked the question, who sets the boundaries? Where does this instinct come from? And it really goes back to the question that Jesus says, who do you say I am? Because he is the one who sets the boundary. And, and we need a word from God, don't we? Now, I know there's a lot of people out there saying, well, God told me. Someone once said, if you want to hear the audible voice of God, read your Bible out loud. That's good advice. It's one thing to hear from God. It's completely another to align ourselves with Jesus. So I want to go back to the question. Who do you say Jesus is? And that's a question you must answer this Christmas. And if he says, and if he is who he says he is, you have to accept him into your life because there is no other choice because he is the way, the truth, and life. But beyond that, are you aligning your life with what God says in his word? Now, here's another question I want you to consider. How do we bring our best when the world is at its worst? Have you thought about that? Now, as you're thinking about that, I'm going to close with some things, but uh, as usual, I'm going to give a book away. Now, before I give this book away, you need to know this. Uh, this isn't what I would call an easy read. It's not a hard read, but it's more about the theology of the humanity of Jesus. So since it's all about Jesus, I'm going to give a book away called The Jesus We Missed, The Surprising Truth About the Humanity of Christ. So, you know, if you want a feel-good book, uh, but if you want about Jesus, I see a hand there already. Come on. Here you go. Before I said who wants it, he had his hand up. Well, good. <laughs> Now, you know the rule here. When you finish the book, you pass it on. Okay? Good. Thank you. Let me suggest this in closing. If we're going to be at our best when the world's at its worst, I think there's two things I want to talk about we need. One is we need, to be, we need a worldview shaped by the gospel. Now, there are so many things that shape our thinking. But the gospel is a total life system. Where we place our minds, our lives usually follow. And there's all kind of opportunities, isn't there? 
There's all kinds of opportunities to get Jesus into your brains and your minds. I mean, we've got Sunday morning worship here to do so in community. we got online classes that Dr. Kime teaches Sunday evenings. There's podcasts. One of the great things about the internet is you can listen to preachers around the world that are good and strong. But what this all says is that we are all missionaries. We all have influence. We are all called to engage the world. And we must study Jesus and live his truth. And what's that mean for the church? Two critical aspects. How we love and our unity. Both in the Gospel of John say this. This is how the world will know. Doesn't say you got a great preacher or a great band or a great church. Talks about how you live with each other. Both are so unusual that people sit up and take notice. But our choices are shaped by our worldview. So we need a worldview shaped by the gospel. Secondly, we are a kingdom of God. We are the kingdom of God, ambassadors in a foreign land. You know, This may upset some of you, but I'm going to say it anyway. We love the illusion that we are a Christian nation. Maybe we were, but we are not anymore. Our land is littered with descriptive selfishness and idols of power, money, and sex. And next week, we're going to start a new series in the book of Daniel. And the reason we're going to do Daniel is you got Jerusalem destroyed, you got this king taking the best people, ripping them away from their families, putting them in Babylon, and they're putting them through indoctrination programs. In school, in how they eat, the best and the brightest. But somehow Daniel and his friends not only survive, but they thrive. And they are key influencers upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And I think that's the message we need to hear today. You know, we know that the end's already determined and Christ will come again and set everything right. There's new heavens and new earth and sin's going to be eradicated. And I don't know what all that looks like. In times, it seems so unbelievable. But we have to choose to say it's all about Jesus to live that way. I mean, think about the alternative. Who do we trust? Who do we believe? Our government? I mean, look at the mess we're in today in our world. You know, Francis Schaeffer a a long time ago asked this question, how then shall we leave, live? And and I want to say that question a little bit different. What if we really lived by what we say we believe? I mean, what if Jesus was the framework for our life? What if it really was all about Jesus? What about every decision? And you realize every decision you make is doing one of two things. It's either helping to create hell on earth or it's helping to bring a foretaste of heaven. And I don't know about you, but my heart breaks for the evil I witness and the evil I read about. My heart breaks for just about the time we think humanity can't go any lower. Along comes another holocaust or even evil incarnate, doesn't it? And when we reject the biblical teaching of sin and evil, then we fail to build moral boundaries to protect us from that evil. And so as we enter 2022, let me encourage you to place our hope solely on Jesus. Amen?
And while we're creatures that engage in many levels of this world, let's make sure we spend more time with Jesus than we do, whether it's studying politics or studying our business or being on the internet. Let's bring the best Jesus we know to what we are and will face as a church. And let's be the church, not some religious replica of what already is out there in the world. We're called to imitate Christ, not this world. And let's be a place of transformation. We know that can exist. I mean, some of you are examples of that. And let's settle for nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Amen? So here's my challenge for 2022. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what situation or relationship you are in the middle of, keep in front of you, it is all about Jesus. Okay? And let me add, because we did this for the Advent season, keep the gratitude going. Live a life that is grateful for who he is and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, uh, we appreciate, even though we don't fully understand it, who you are and what you do in our lives. And I, I pray for people this morning that don't understand that fully yet, that they, number one, this morning accept you as their Lord and Savior, and number two, that they just, they just quit believing everything out there they shouldn't believe, somehow thinking they're exception. I pray, Lord, that as a church we become so passionate about who you are, that we become a church that is, it just causes people to say up, you know what, I want to be part of that because I'm looking at so-and-so and I can't believe the transformation in their lives. I mean, over here, you know, I knew that lady and, and look what God did. So Lord, draw people to yourself. And may we say, look at you and not look at us. We realize that time is really artificially drawn in this humanity, but we start a new year. And may we just fall on our knees and worship to an audience of one. And may you do what only you can do because there is nothing that can stop Jesus Christ in this world. So, so do the unexpected, do the unusual, and yet it should be the usual in Jesus Christ. And we do this in your name, because you alone are worthy. And everyone said, amen. Well, belated Merry Christmas. And just before the Happy New Year, we wish you a Happy New Year, and we'll see you next year. Thank you for coming.